light <laughs> episode. Sarah did not just burp. I did not. We started. Did not. We edited that, edited that out. Well, welcome. Oh, and you know what? Susie just spit out a gigantic wad of gum. It's like this is in our, what, 160th episode? Yes, that's why I spit it out, because I'm a professional lady. Professional. Who takes her gum out, because I don't want to hear about how I chew too loud right, from like our listeners. Cow. Well, like welcome, everybody, to this very professional episode of the Brain Candy Podcast, your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, <laughs> our favorite podcast. Welcome to the show. Here with Episode me as always, 160. Susie. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, just introducing you for the people who don't know. <laughs> Episode 160. Uh, we have a lot of fun things planned today. Tell me. What are we going to start with? I saw an interview with Pete. We can start with whatever you want, but I did yeah. see something interesting. Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. I was watching an interview with people who wrote a book called Sucking Up, and it was two academics that studied the origins of butt kissing and i was so intrigued this is really interesting first of all do you think you're a butt kisser yes i totally am too <laughs> the biggest i mean if it's like going teachers. to benefit yeah me. like i'm like oh I'm yours old. is with your teacher oh, yeah i was like that you know how my whole thing is like you some people might call it flattery uh-huh but i always oh you mean that stuff that gets you everywhere <laughs> I do compliment people a lot, as you've probably heard in my interviews. But it's always genuine. It is genuine. That's the th- Here's the thing. I don't hold back on saying on when I feel like when I see somebody walking down the street and they have a nice hat on, I'm like, hey, you, I really like your hat. Yeah, I like when people do that. So all I'm doing is saying the things that are, I'm already, are in my head. So for those people who think that it's phony baloney, but it does look like sucking up. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this. Do you think sucking up implies that it's not sincere? Uh, no. And I think sucking up implies that the intention is for... Uh, Reward in some way. Or social gain. Like a, a um, it's a move to like a self-preservation or something that benefits. Cause like the way I see it is almost looking at how do animals, how has this been, how have we seen this in primates and things like that? And you'll see primates who are lower on the hierarchy in the um, group um, will suck up to the yeah. higher ones. So it, it's so that they it just can... It makes good sense. It makes sense. So that they don't die. So that, that you know... Well, it, in the interview, they talked about how there are a lot of literary references to sucking up. And they talked about in um, Dante's Inferno... Oh, oh, cool. How there's a circle of hell that's reserved for uh, flatterers and that it's a worse oh. circle than the one for murderers. Okay. How do you feel Dante. about that? <laughs> Pump the brakes, Pump Dante. the brakes, Alighieri. <laughs> right now she's mad at the classic. I mean, I just think like... It's not that bad, you think? On a scale, I wouldn't put it worse than murder, for goodness sakes. Well, I guess in the, they were talking about how, you know, historically that there's they, people have really hated... Okay. People well, that that's flatterers. what that, but that's what it comes down to is is kind of art, isn't it? Okay. Why does somebody murder somebody? You murder somebody for passion, for revenge, 
or rage. Mm-hmm. We'll just, I'm just, sure. you know, uh-huh. I have no, whatever, I'm just talking. Uh, <laughs> and you suck up for, it's like a narcissistic self, like benefiting yourself. Mm-hmm. So the only person who's to benefit from sucking up is you. It's like a very selfish act. But if you, you could argue that if you were to murder somebody as an act of revenge or vengeance, then, right. you know, that's kind of like an, I don't know, what ifs. I clearly wasn't listening good enough during the interview though, because I, my notes are terrible, but I do know this much. What? That, um, something about, <laughs> something about how flattery, and I don't know if this was in the Dante reference or otherwise, but it related to poop. And that's how we got the phrase full of shit. You're welcome for a partial what information. I'm going to try to draw the line (laughs) between the two. So, okay. Connect the dots. So I think if you're somebody who's, it's basically like not telling the person when they do smell. So (laughs) back in the day when we couldn't shower all the time, you would say, that oh, was, yes, sir. You smell lovely. That wasn't and it. And so you were lying, and so they would say, oh, you're full of shit. No, that no, wasn't it. That I wasn't think it? it was like the, the ring of hell in particular had, oh. like, it was poop oh. or instead of fire. Sarah makes up history. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting thing, though, oh, to yeah. discuss, and I want to I read the book. That's really interesting. You know what's close to your butt? What? <laughs> <laughs> your vagina. That's totally true. Well, or you could even sustain is what I'm referring to, by the way. But yeah. you could even use the lube in the bum. You know I, what I mean? Like I, I could have just transitioned. Can and <laughs> maybe half. <laughs> right. Listen, I we didn't don't even, judge here. You know, people say my uh, what do don't you call it? segues are good, but I could have just gone right into the butt. <laughs> <laughs> now easily comfortably and organically <laughs> that's right so if you are a lady or a man whatever i don't judge yeah. i'm not here to judge no. uh and you some. would like feminine products including though condoms and lube yeah uh you should use sustain because they are organic vegan fair trade sustainably made and free of toxins and carcinogens which you can't say for all the name brands because <sighs> right. we don't know what goes on in there We've been using Sustain. They're fantastic, and they give us peace of mind about what the heck we're putting in our vaginas. And our listeners can get their first month free and free shipping when they sign up at SustainNatural.com and use code BRAINCANDY at checkout. It's SustainNatural.com, and it's Sustain, the all-natural vagina-friendly products that put women's bodies first. It's a subscription, right? So it comes to your door, and um, that way you don't have to go to the store and get all your products. Problem solved. Uh, shall I move on or Uh, do you want me to, or do you want to share something? This one was just, oh my gosh. I have stuff. Yeah. You know what? Yes. Grab your stuff because I also have to reach for my phone that has the other things that I want to tell you. So, you know. So here's the scoop. There is this hilarious thing on, there's evidently a recipe for brownies called, that are Catherine Hepburn's brownie recipe. I've heard this. Yeah. I know where we're going this. The recipes for Steel and a Man. Yeah. So, and uh, I think it was the New York Times 
published this recipe and people swear by it and say it's the best and I I want to try the recipe but apparently there was a person who left a comment I'm not a person are you a person that comments like in YouTube videos no. or no ain't nobody got time for that no. but apparently she did and she wrote this comment that has become the New York Times favorite comment over <gasps> all time cool all time and yes and basically let me see if I can get the direct quote because it is hilarious. People, and it's been making the rounds on um, Twitter again, even though this comment was from 40 years ago or something. Uh, let me find it. Oh, this is great. How good are those okay. brownies? <laughs> so the commenter described sharing the brownies with an acquaintance in Germany back in the 80s who considered herself a great cook, asked for the recipe, but was never able to get it to work. Now, this is the quote. She kept asking me what she was doing wrong, and I was never able to solve her problem. Eventually, she moved to the U.S. and stole my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And so they tracked her down and found out, like, what happened. And uh, she said it's all true that that she shared this recipe, and she she really wasn't – she – the German woman thought that the the, uh, brownie recipe woman was trying to, like, sabotage – her attempt at making the brownies, and so she came on over and stole her husband. How great is that? You know, I love stuff like that. First you guys like their cake, right? Then brownies, <laughs> right? You're welcome. It's desserts. I know. I've got all kinds of useless. Oh, that story. I'll real put sweet. that in the newsletter. Oh God, I'll put that in the newsletter though, because the whole story is it goes on and on, and it's really funny. And I just love that she didn't even mean to be hilarious. And I saw somebody on Twitter write, "Wow, that comment really took a turn at the end. <laughs> like you don't see it coming." Oh. All right, what, what did you find on your phone or whatever? Um. Well, I didn't find my phone. I feel like something's so, gone terribly wrong. No, I, I did. Well, I didn't find my phone, so I was trying to find the article that. That, um, oh yeah, I did. I found it. Oh, yes. Okay. I found it. I was trying to find the article that referenced it on my computer because I love my phone in my car. Um, typical Sarah. So my husband mentioned this to me the other day and I thought this was just something that maybe popped up on, I thought it was fake. You Mm -hmm. know, he said that, and I'm going to talk about this stuff because Halloween is coming up. Mm -hmm. And so it's like time to start getting creepy. Yeah. He said that the average person walks by 17 murderers in their lifetime. Oh, I love that. And there's a whole bunch of math on it. So they, and that's to, oh, this is the other crazy part that if you live in New York City, you probably walk by like 160 in your lifetime. No. Because depending on how many people, oh, I just looked at one of the pictures that I should have looked at. (laughs) Oh, creepy, creepy. Um, Okay, so yes, so if you live the the more densely populated sure. the area, the higher that number. And of course, these are just averages because yeah. you know. But that's what the math says. So that was a really creepy one. And then there was one. There was another thing that was on there that I just thought was hilarious. Have you heard of the dancing plague? Mm-mm. Oh yes. What the heck is that? Yeah. So in uh, July of fifteen eighteen, mm-hmm. this. A place in, I think it's in like Strasbourg or, I don't know, Germany, I don't know what, wherever that is. Um, but they were <laughs> struck by this plague or something that gave them the uncontrollable urge to dance. Yeah. And then it started, it was contagious. Then everybody else started. And then 400 people, over 400 people died from exhaustion from dancing. 
Didn't they give you an explanation, though? Like well, there theories? were a few theories. They yeah. said, and this is the one that I think is most, is probably the truest, is that um, psychological uh, phenomena? Yes. It, that Things like that can also be contagious, too. Like, the same way people can speak in tongues and that feeling is very, very vivid and very real for people, that if you belong to a culture that believes in a like possession or something like that, then it doesn't take a lot of suggestion for you to get your mind to that place. Yeah. So I think a combi- it was probably a combination of a virus or some sort of like illness. It could have been that was that the ergot, the same thing that uh, the Salem witch trials, that was the, the kind of the mob kind of, kind of cause of a lot of that yeah um it could be that in combination with religious beliefs and yeah. spirituality so you know but i just thought isn't that crazy freaking i wish that people? would happen here i mean i could really go like, for what if everybody who that would be so fun that would oh my. until the end <laughs> Susie, <laughs> we all so fall creepy. down um you know what else is a lot of fun tell me being able to ship things from your desk. Oh my gosh, the best. I mean, in if, your PJs. I am a big fan of not leaving my house. And so I love stamps.com because I ship a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of merch that goes out. And I'm a big eBayer. And if you are sending a lot of stuff, this is the perfect solution for you to not have to go to the post office. It's convenient, easy, reliable, and flexible. Stamps.com brings all the service of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print all the U.S. postage for letters, packages, or whatevs, and it's super easy. So use Stamps.com, and you can do it right now with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Brain Candy. That's Stamps.com. Enter Brain Candy. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Sarah. Yes, Susan. That was a good one. The dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I got only spooky stories today. Oh, so really? Get ready. For realsy pops? Halloween is coming. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's been a long time. Actually, it's been like about a year since I busted out my spooky voice. Um, I read or actually I saw a video on Vox about the coexist bumper sticker. You know the coexist oh, yeah. one that, uh-huh, like, that has all, all the le- the the symbols and yeah. yeah, it has the crescent and star. It has the cr- Christian cross, the star of David. All these, mm-hmm. all the letters are some sort of faith or peace or whatever. Who's what? making money off those? Good question, Sarah. So these bumper stickers, by the way, if you have one, it's annoying. Like <laughs> I like them. I like the the uh, idea. Mm-hmm. But you know somebody that's driving that is annoying. <sighs> I'm going to get so much hate. I, I would like to be friends with anybody. I, I, I would like to play the opposite of Susie. You and probably for this, have I, lo- I probably <laughs> did on my last car. <laughs> no, I do think it's really sweet, but I do find it funny because it's like a stereotype, right? And they probably like, like Whole Foods, walk, hippie dippy. Like, yes, they like hikes. They're definitely going to be into rock climbing. I mean, we that. probably have a lot of listeners. I have. love it. And okay. so I like all those people. <laughs> don't don't sabotage Sorry. me. Anyway, 
Um, it's probably, you know, when you get a, a PhD in religious studies, I've seen that bumper sticker a lot. You're right. And you're a little bit more. No, no. I'm just saying, yeah, I am cynical for yeah, sure. Cynical. Okay. So this guy in Poland entered a contest that a museum ran that the oh. theme was coexistence and you, and he's a graphic designer and he tried all these different ways and came up with this coexist design and he it became part of a tour that went around the world and you know it was cool he was honored to to do that and um then a few years later some college kids in indiana just uh copyrighted it and didn't ask him and just basically stole it which is so ironic given its Uh whole message is not capitalistic and so he didn't like that very much. And then after that, Bono started wearing like a bandana YouTube uh-huh. at, during his tour that had that on it. And um, he, they didn't ask permission either. And it's this whole weird thing where like this guy's got nothing off of it. The coexist message or bumper sticker yeah. symbol is causing a ton of... Strife. Strife. Yeah, and the college kids, they sold it on T-shirts, and, like, they banned everyone else from using it, and were selling the T-shirts for 58 bucks. Oh, my gross, gosh. Gross. There's so much wrong with that. Yeah, so that was a real bummer sticker. I mean, th- <laughs> that I like. There you go. You're welcome. Bazinga. Um, I hate that I just said that. But I said it because of the show Broad City, not because of the show The Big Bang Theory. I just want to put that out there. I don't know either of those references. That's fine. That's um, fine. It's okay. concerning to me that you even watch Big Bang Theory. I don't. That's why I'm saying that that's not from Big Bang Theory. Yeah, but how you would you even know that it's on that, that show? Because I take airplanes, then they <laughs> force me to watch that on their half an hour in-flight American Airlines yeah, I get it. Eye in the sky. Stop. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I You wouldn't have believed how upsetting it was to me when I first started dating Adam and he told me his favorite TV show was Two and a Half Men. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's almost a deal breaker. Okay. My really good friend who's a maid of honor in my wedding, uh, only because I didn't know Susie for that as long. <laughs> um. But she used to work on Two and a Half Men, and right. she was uh, the assistant to the producer. And I went to one of the shows. I went to the the taping, filming of their Christmas special. This is how I ended up at Ashton Kutcher's house, P.S. This is the best story. Yeah. I and will you save don't that story for later. I don't. I, but I'm just going to tell the part about being at the taping. And so I was sitting in the back with behind you know where they have all the cameras where the producers are sitting and where a lot of the writers are sitting and also uh who's that guy chuck lore was there freaking i was standing next to him that guy is like big time oh yeah i didn't even realize at the time yeah he's a big deal yeah big deal yeah and I was standing right behind him, and they had this joke where they were holding up mistletoe, but it was broccoli right. instead. And they were like, it's broccoltoe. And the writer, whoever, they were like, it's going to be hilarious. Everybody's going to be saying that. That's the joke. And they and I was like, who Are the you fuck me? is this? That's the worst joke. And I said to my friend Morgan, I was like, I'm pretty sure I could write this show. Like right next to them. Nope, 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 nope. 
No. What did she say, Sarah? I don't think... She just gave me... I don't even think she acknowledged it no, or anything. No, she shouldn't have. And she, and she did the right thing. And they love her there. They love her. The, everybody there loves her. Well, good. And they would hate me. Because <laughs> I would be like, that's the worst joke ever. Yeah, this is terrible. You're clearly wrong because that show is I such know. a hit. I know. Was. It was the number one show. And you and- know what? Brockletoe was probably hilarious but to me i was like this is horrible okay um i totally derailed whatever the heck we were talking about okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks just order your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95 at bite.com bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, I wanted to move on because, well, we have a guest today. Oh, her name is Katherine Mayer, and she wrote a book called Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Women. Women. Yes. 50-Feet Women. I've heard of this. Yeah. It's a great book. She is the founder of the Women's Equality Party in the UK. Dang. Right. Get a girl. And the best part is that she founded it accidentally, which is totally something you would do. <laughs> <laughs> and she's really interesting. And so I talked to her about how that happened, why she's doing it. And like, I know a lot of people in the U.S. are having these same sort of feelings of like, uh, feeling mm-hmm. a little hopeless maybe about women's rights or the we're ever going to all be equal, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that we talked about in the interview are so interesting. She was She mentions how when you have a man that has kids in a job, or is of childbearing age, uh, he will make more money because he's seen as a provider. Mm-hmm. When you have a woman in the same job, even if she doesn't have kids, but it's just of the age when you would have kids, she makes less because she might have kids. And, and she's seen as the she's recipient seen, of She's seen else as provider. somebody who needs to take care of her family, but mm. not financially. Uh-huh. Right? And she might take off work because she's got to take care of the kids. Mm. And so for men, having a family helps their career. Uh For women, it makes it worse. And she makes this so obvious the the way that... Have you ever had a conversation with um, somebody who disagreed about the wage gap? Yes. So a lot of times people, and usually men, but sometimes women, will say, well, it's because women tend to choose what what are called soft jobs, like Mm -hmm. healthcare, uh, teaching jobs that don't pay very much. So that accounts for some of that gap. But she points out that those jobs shouldn't be making less. They're making less because women tend right. to do them, right. not because they're easier. And you can see the perfect example is nursing. Exactly. Because as soon as men entered that field, the compensation, when they got paid more. Exactly. So she talks about how we can dismantle these systems that are designed to, and it reminded me the other day when you were talking about the Lady Gaga 
thing where she, yep. in the documentary, she walked around and was like checking the lights and the sound. Is everything perfect? And she was seen as a bitch. Mm-hmm. But if men do that, they're seen as professional yep. and yep. and uh, perfectionists. Mm-hmm. And women, they're like, what's she, you know, barking up our tree for? And this thing is extra personal for me because, I mean, I hate to even bring this up, but <laughs> on the challenge, when Johnny made his decision... He told me, and whether this is true or not true, this is still something that went through his head, is he said, you're fine, your husband makes money, and so you don't need the money because I was I was like a recipient of somebody else's hard, the, yeah. the payoff of like their hard yeah. work. And so I wasn't the quote-unquote provider. Right. So I don't deserve that money, right. and he does. But if I bet his partner had been... A man with a kid right. like Darrell, yep. he would have thought, "I better split it," or maybe would be more inclined to yeah, yeah, because yeah, Darrell yeah. is the provider, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I—I'd love to hear if if our listeners have had similar experiences because we don't often talk about them because we all think, "Well, you know, it happens," right. but we shouldn't accept them. So one time when I was in grad school, and you have to submit like a dissertation overview when you're getting your doctorate, and they say yes, that timeline for getting it done looks doable or whatever. And I was um, nine months pregnant at the time. And one of the people on my committee was a woman. And she said, don't you think this is a little ambitious for for a new mom? And I was in a cohort with a man whose wife was expecting. And uh, he didn't have the same questions asked Mm -hmm. about his overview. By the way... I got that approved and I finished ahead of schedule and get a girl. I'm just saying that they should not have said that, but it's almost like a knee jerk response. I know that that woman, she's a woman. You wouldn't think she would say that. And academics are supposed to be so progressive. That makes me think is that because what mother doesn't feel like this overwhelmed like you have so much that you have to do that you're not living up to all your expectations you feel whether you have tons of time or no time you probably still have that same feeling of there isn't enough time and I'm not doing everything I should doing so maybe there was a little bit of like kind of a counter transference happening there in or or like projection maybe I should call it of like her the person who um, was on your your council going, yeah. reminding her, remembering her own time of yeah. being like that, and going, shit, that sucked for me. Like, oh no, she didn't have any kids though. Oh, what's then, weird? Never mind. But I mean, or maybe the anticipation. It, it was whatever. gross. But, it was gross. Yeah. It was gross, and I was just like, I got this. So you know, prove it or not, and you're fine. Yeah. Anywho. Oh. <laughs> I, know. The, I thought she had kids. Never mind. I know. There goes that theory. Uh-uh. Okay, well. Yeah, So, but you can see how it would seem like a nice gesture, like, hey, don't be so, like, you don't need such a rigorous goal. You can yeah. take your time. Yeah. Like, you would think that's nice, but that's not how it no. came across to me. Uh-uh. And I would be offended if somebody said that to me, too. Um. Before we get to the interview, there is something that I wanted to try with you, oh. and I don't think it'll translate well to the radio, so it's a okay. terrible idea, but I still wanted to do it. Okay. I'm going to give you a piece of paper. Oh, okay. All right. Hold on. Okay. Paper. So mm-hmm. I 
this will be fun for me, but no one else. Okay. This is fun for me already. It's about how the brain works and how things that we see every day. Love it. Um, we think we know what they look like. Right. But we don't. Okay. So oh my God, this is going to be my favorite. They did a um, study about how well you could draw a brand logo from memory. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll describe <laughs> it as I draw it so it won't be boring. Yeah. People. Okay. So let me tell you. First, let uh, me state I'm an incredible artist. So I'm probably going to ace this test. I Well, that will maybe be helpful because. I'm kidding. So they showed some of the drawings that people did, and they <laughs> are awful. so bad. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. Let me ask you to draw the IKEA logo, <laughs> which you know what it looks like in like theory, right? I don't know. She's panicking. I think she's about to blow into a paper bag right now. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Okay, let's do another one. We'll skip that one. I failed, and I have been to Ikea so many times. In fact, I passed two Ikeas on the way to your house. That's how much land I cover, Okay, let's move on to the next one. Maybe this I know you can do. This is so funny. This is, I know you can do this. Target. Oh, my God. Okay, Okay. I got that. Okay, she's got it. She's drawing a I'm circle. Drawing, but like it's, it's a rushed. target. It's right. So it's like a red ring and then this is a solid ring in the middle. Okay. Yeah. So like one outside and then a bullseye. It's a, it's a bullseye. Okay. Is that all? Mm. <laughs> oh shit. No. No. Because there's a white circle around it. No. There isn't. No. Was that it? It looked better before. They, there's also the word target. Okay, target. It she would go under T A R G E T. All capitalized. Good. Good yes. job, Sarah. Nailed she it. did it right. I did. That was so great when you're like, no, there's another ring. I was like, no, there's another ring. And <laughs> you then did I drew great. it, but ignore that ring. So, target was the second most. Uh, successfully drawn. Oh God, good. IKEA was number one. So what? I don't know why. Does it the IKEA logo motherfucking look like? Wait, is it just IKEA written in big le- letters that are yellow? I can't tell you, but you can try it right now if you'd like. Uh, I okay. I'm gonna draw it. This is great. Okay. Now, most people when they got to do this could add color. Sarah is not doesn't have that luxury <laughs> right now. Um. Let me tell you some of the other brands okay. they asked people to draw the logo for. Does it look kind of like that? Yeah. No. Yeah, it does. Okay. But there's more to it. It's not just a... Jesus. She just wrote the word Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it and it doesn't... It looks more like it belongs in the movie Moana than it does on... So it's like, like really tiki. Yeah, it's like tiki letters I just gave you. This is, this is wrong. Okay, one more and then we'll okay. all stop this madness. How about Starbucks? Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. I know what this yeah, is. Yeah, you got that. This is a circle. <laughs> and then it's like a lady who's like a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, but they changed it recently. That's all right. And then so she's got like hair that comes up here. And then she's got like a mermaidy face. This is like a face. <laughs> and then, my, don't look at my drawing skills. I am skills fascinated. Here. And then there's like another ring. And I think it says Starbucks coffee. And then coffee along the bottom. So the Starbucks one, while she's doing that, is was the wor- the one that people could do the least. Which oh, is funny because people you, go to Starbucks most. a lot. But like, here's the face. And then it's like, is she holding a cup of coffee in it? No. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> it's just a mermaid. <laughs> that's 
here. I'm going to show them okay. to you because you'll Let be see. interested to see. They I use- keep... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm upset now. It is weird how the brain works. Damn. You're usually the one, like, being I could, like... If you would have named any of those other ones, I would have nailed it. You probably wouldn't have. That's you so think true. that you would have. You know what? Adidas, I would have done wrong. I would have... You're totally right. I think I know these, but I have no... I wish you would have asked what Wait. 7-Eleven looks like. Because 7-Eleven, I think I know it, but... I wouldn't have gotten any of those but right. But look at some of these drawings. I'm going to put this in the newsletter yeah. because it is wow. fascinating. Those drawings of what the Apple logo looks like yeah. are so wrong. Well, and then some of them are really good, but the some of them are, are bad so bad. Are so bad. They're not even facing the right direction. But you know what? I think I would I love this. It. Like Domino's like, pizza. Somebody just drew like a black Domino. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is so funny. Yeah, but it's really funny how the brain takes things for granted and doesn't invest effort into memorizing something they they only need to know generally you know yeah uh, we could have done the golden arches for I, sure i would have nailed, nailed that one you know what also uh i would nail is the bioclarity logo yeah oh yes for sure i know that one because i use it twice a day mm-hmm. it's a three-step acne wash that is a godsend and it's used with Really, they use really gentle ingredients. It's non-abrasive, but it's so effective if you have problem skin like I have, but not anymore. So if you want to try BioClarity, go to bioclarity.com and enter code BRAINCANDY and get your first month for $9.95 plus free shipping. It's a $20 savings and satisfaction is guaranteed by me and the good people at BioClarity. And I don't remember what their logo looks like, but I do remember <laughs> how wonderful it makes my skin feel. Well, and they did get I new packaging. Like leaves so. on it and it's green yeah. and white and black. Yeah, you Ugh. nailed it. You nailed it, it, Sarah. That's it. All right, let's welcome to the show Catherine Mayer, who is such a fantastic author and inspiration to me. You should check out her book, The Attack of the 50 Feet Women, and find out more about her, uh, the land she calls Equalia, which is this hypothetical and hopefully oh, I love that. not for long hypothetical place where everyone's equal. Huh. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Catherine. I just want to jump right in and ask the obvious question, which is, how the heck did you come up with the title for your book? It's so awesome. As you'll have seen when you got the book, the cover is a variation on a movie poster for a 1958 movie called Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. And that movie was a sort of horror movie <laughs> about what happens when women gain agency. Uh, specifically in this case, a woman who has a cheating husband drives off into the desert, upset, encounters a space alien, and as you do, grows to 50 foot tall and uses that new height to kill and maim. So it was kind of a parable about how scary women are if they get power. And that obviously amused me. It also (laughs) amused me that it was then remade in 1993 with Daryl Hannah. And at that point, it becomes a story about female empowerment, complete with sort of big shoulder pads. Um, Still a lousy movie, but but (laughs) it's about... So it speaks to this whole thing about how women are viewed, um, how we're portrayed, of the fears of, of what women would look like what we would be if we could have as much power as men if we could realize who we are 
Um, and and it seemed like a good way into thinking about that. You know, do what what would we even be if we could um, be freed of the sort of restrictive um, upbringing and and programming that we have that you know tells us that that the way to be women is to be sweet and pretty and compliant and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would we would we use that power badly? Are we are we any nicer than men? Do women lead differently? So I wanted to ask all of those questions. Well, I loved it, and I I loved the cover, and then the book was equally as amazing, and I'm so excited for our listeners to read it as well. I was uh, struck by the way that it said that you had accidentally founded the Women's Equality Party, <laughs> and I was thinking, things that I do on accident are far less impressive, so could you tell our listeners about how that happened? I can. Um, I have to say, I have a history of doing things accidentally. Um, I, I um, nearly every job I've ever done, I sort of fell into by accident, one way or another. Um, so I'm, I'm the opposite of what people think of as a career woman. You know, I've had a career, but it's it has been a winding one, shall we say? And in this case, um, what happened was, I am. Um, in fact, on on the founding committee of a very wonderful uh, international women's festival called the Wow Festival, Women of the World Festival. And uh, in 2015, I went to the London Wow Festival, where there was a discussion about women in politics and what women can do for for other women. And there were these fantastic female MPs on stage. And the audience, instead of being excited and inspired by this, was really obviously downcast. And I had heard women talking about the election which was coming up. Um, Mm. The UK had a general election in 2015. And these women were saying that they were so uninspired by the choices that they were not even going to vote. Mm. And, you know, next year, 2018, marks the centenary of the first very partial enfranchisement of women. So women haven't had the vote even for a 100 years, and yet they're so turned off by politics that they're not using it. Mm. More than 9 million women had stayed away at the previous election who were entitled to vote. So I just thought this was terribly sad and I got and I got up in this big theater, you know, there were 450 people there. And uh, I somehow got hold of the microphone and suggested that maybe um, maybe what we needed was a women's equality party because none of the old parties were doing enough for women. And I said, uh, if anybody wants to discuss this, I'll be in the bar, which is obviously <laughs> a bit of a dangerous thing to say when there are hundreds of people in the room with you. And really a lot of people did come to the bar, but a lot more joined in the discussion on Twitter and Facebook because somebody Mm -hmm. or several people tweeted that I'd said this and by the time I got home (laughs) I sort of realized that people thought I had said I was going to found this party (laughs) so then I put this post on Facebook but I I was still being very you know joking about it um my husband's a musician you know it's great by the way that a feminist party starts with a woman talking about her husband and I (laughs) and I said you know Andy's only been on tour for 24 hours and already I've only had a sandwich for dinner. Oh, and by the way, I founded a women's equality party. Anyone want to join? 
And by the time I got up in the morning, there was like all these people had signed up on this joke Facebook page, including a woman called Sophie Walker, who is actually the first leader of the party, who has who has now been leading the party for for two years and is, it turns out to be an extraordinary politician um, and a, an amazing um, playwright and activist called Stella Duffy who also signed up, who ended up on the original steering committee and then recently was when we went to a full internal democracy is actually elected onto the steering committee. So some of the key original members signed up under this Facebook <laughs> and then I then I started um, thinking oh well I'd better kind of see whether this goes anywhere <laughs> so I did two, I did two things one was that I I created a Facebook page just about having a meeting to discuss whether we should have a women's equality party and that was amazing because it was just like a normal Facebook page and there was no famous names attached to it or anything. And about 5,000 people signed up to that page immediately. And for that meeting, um, 250 people turned up for a meeting, um, which is kind of amazing. And um, But also I rang... Uh, there's um, a friend of mine called Sandy Toxvig, and she and I were both on this founding committee of the WOW Festival together. And I rang her to tell her what had happened because we had recently had a discussion about we're both in our 50s and we're both sort of a bit depressed about not being in a gender equal world because when we were young, we both thought it would be long sorted by now. And so I rang her up and I said um, that, you know, I seem to accidentally found the party. And she said, um, I did not expect this response at all. She said, but darling, that's my idea. Um, and I said, what are you talking about? By the way, when I'm doing Sandy's voice, I should say that um, people in Britain know that voice very well. She's an incredibly well-known broadcaster and comedian. Um, and uh, so... So that was her response. And then she said, um, anyway, she was, she was um, every year for the WOW Festival, she does this big kind of um, closing event with, um, you know, celebrating women in some way. And in that particular year, she was planning to do a, an event uh, which showcased a sort of women's party that she had in her mind you know sort of fantasy women's party and she said darling I was just about to ring you to ask you to be foreign secretary oh god <laughs> it's so, like well, lightning in a bottle everything came together at exactly. the perfect moment and so she and I so she and I sort of um, did what we liked to do which was we sat down over a few beers and we discussed it and decided to see where we get with it and we now have, you know, by July of that year, that was 2015, by July we registered as an official uh, UK party. We ran our first elections in May 2016. We got more than 350,000 votes. We now have more than 70 branches right the way across the UK. And um, we, you know, have... Um, you know, very big membership, and and we ran in the in the 2017 general election. Um, I'd like to say the only 2017 general election, but politics here is so chaotic. We're sort of constantly on edge, waiting for another general election. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. <laughs> how did you manage to, because you say, you know, you would hear people saying how depressed they were that things weren't moving along. And and some of us have that same feeling, of course, over in America as well, of course. And we just sit around and drink wine and be, are sad. Whereas someone like you says, okay, well, let's do something about it. How the heck do we keep the faith in that way and actually take take action rather than just wallowing? <laughs> well, it's something, I mean, I think a lot about this because uh, I was one of the people over here who, um, that, you know, when the Women's March was being organized in, in the U.S., um, I then, um, some people had the idea to do it over here and I was approached by them and became involved in organizing the Women's March over here. And I remember that morning going to the starting point of the march and wondering whether anybody would show up and then a hundred thousand people <laughs> turned up and then afterwards of course what happens is the media keeps asking you these questions like well you marched but now what you know mm. surely that doesn't mean anything now I actually disagree with that I think it I think the women's march was very important because it it completely gave the lie to the narrative that um, that sort of viewpoint that we were expressing that that gender equality is important, that reproductive rights are important, that all of these things are important, um, that somehow we'd all we were all wallowing and not doing anything, that people had stopped caring enough or that people had given up. It showed that the resistance was there, mm-hmm. but I, but I, but I do think it's incredibly important to then take that energy and funnel it into structured political campaigning, which is again, you know, why I'm very glad that I started the party and why I would advocate that anybody who isn't happy with the status quo and let's face it to Mm. be a woman and be happy with the status quo is to be misguided Mm -hmm. um that that anybody um takes that energy and funnels it into an organization whether it's a political party or some kind of um other campaigning organization that is working towards the ends that you want because otherwise energy does dissipate and you can you can get a kind of not exactly a backlash but it's like it's something where people have a lot of energy have a lot of hope and then they don't see change and they and they do sort of lapse into a kind of apathy and Mm. that would be very bad because if there's anything that politics on both sides of the Atlantic have shown us is that we don't just have to fight for rights that we haven't won. We have to fight for the rights that we thought we already had. And it's very very urgent. Tell me about Equalia. So Equalia, and you, by the way, are pronouncing it the way I pronounce it. Um, though the, the BBC recently told me that it should be pronounced equalia, which I thought was very funny given that I invented the word. Um, but anyway, equalia is is the country, the place of gender equality that I create uh, 
that I created for my book. So in the last chapter of my book, I take so that the rest of the book is talking about where we are now, about why women are everywhere in the world, second class citizens, what the mechanisms are holding us back and what we might do to move forward. But in the final chapter of the book, it's um, a kind of uh, speculative fiction or science fiction where I take you forward into the future to Equalia. And the reason I wanted to do this is because as a political activist going out advocating for the Women's Equality Party on the doorsteps, I kept meeting people voters who wanted to vote for our party, but you could see that there was something troubling them. And what troubled them was because there's nowhere in the world that's gender equal, they couldn't begin to imagine what a gender equal society would look like. Mm. And so they, they asked questions like, is gender equality the same thing as gender neutrality? Mm. Are you trying to get rid of all the differences in the world? Are you intending to police the way people dress and speak? Are you, do you want everybody to be the same? Is it all about a kind of grey uniformity? And I was saying, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we're talking about at all. But then I thought, actually, maybe rather than trying to say what we're not talking about, it might be really helpful to say what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. So I decided it was important to try and envisage Equalia. And actually, I found it a very useful kind of um, thought experiment for myself as well. Right, because it can give you a picture of the end goal and that way you can then work towards it hopefully right exactly and people are forever kind of accusing me of utopianism mm. um and one of the things that i wanted to make clear about equalia is that it's not a perfect world um and you know one of the one of the issues that is absolutely huge in america at the moment but is important everywhere and is something that that anyone in the women's movement has to think about is is about, for example, the intersection of race and, and gender politics. So I wanted to ask a, the questions like, would a gender equal world necessarily be one that had also dealt with racism or dealt with economic inequality or dealt with, with all the other factors that can combine to create double and triple forms of, of deprivation and oppression? Mm. Um, and and so I, I tackle a lot of that head on in my depiction of Equalia and I and I really didn't want to deal in utopianism because that's not that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and to sort of gloss over these things to say, Oh well, you know, you can you can absolutely solve everything by creating gender equality is to misrepresent the situation. However, gender inequality is the biggest single inequality in the world. You know, people will, people will again, they'll argue with that and they'll say, no, economic inequality is. But if you actually look at the ways in which gender inequality and economic inequality overlap, you find, you find that if mm. you solve one, you go a very long way to modifying the other. Uh, so that these things are inter interlinked. They're mm -hmm. just not the same. One of the things in the book that I was so encouraged by was that you went much further than just suggesting that women should lean in, so to speak, and that there are these systemic issues that have to be dismantled mm. in order for something like equalia to occur. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, that is really interesting is that so many of the mechanisms that are holding us back, we don't actually see. And mm. we can't actually dismantle them until we see them. So again, that's something I wanted to do in the in, with the book. And we also have to understand the ways in which they're interlinked. So uh, another... Uh, Another thing that is forever sort of brought up in uh, when you're campaigning around equality issues is um, that there's still a gender pay gap. Now, there's in the UK been for more than 40 years legislation that says employers have to pay women the same as men um, for the same um, or equivalent work. And yet this pay gap persists. And so this is taken to mean that women in some way choose to be paid less, um, that, that, that this is a matter of personal choice. But actually, when you start looking at what it is that fuels the gender pay gap, it's, it's a, so many different things, and there are so many different things, all of which are not around personal choice at all. So just to give you some examples of this, studies show that employers very often pay women less when they are of childbearing age, even if those women are not having children, just in the expectation that they might. But the employers don't really necessarily realize they're doing that. They do something else that's interesting, which is that they pay men who have children more than they pay men without children, um, presumably because somewhere buried in their psyche is this notion of uh, the head of the man is the head of the household who provides for his family um, and they will you know you will you will sometimes hear people actually inadvertently speaking some of this aloud talking about well that man needs that job more than the woman because he is providing for his family um, then when it comes to issues of who takes time off to look after the children, even when there is the option for paternity leave as well as maternity leave, a lot of men will say, well, we can't afford to take the time off because we're earning more than our, our female partners. And because of the gender pay gap, they very often are earning more than their female partners. So again, this becomes a kind of vicious cycle. One that, by the way, is very easy to break. If you properly invest in paternity leave, men will take it. And in the Scandinavian countries where they have shared, fully shared parental leave and it's properly invested, what's happened is that it's not only become normal for men to take time off and to share the caregiving functions, but it has become socially unacceptable, unacceptable for them not to do so. I know this is a big question, but one of the most important things I think from the book is this idea of convincing the majority to believe that equality will benefit them so that then they are incentivized to uh, get on board with this movement. And what is just one way that we could begin to do that? Well, I mean, I would like to see more men fighting for equality, just as I would like to see more men opposing violence against women and girls. I mean, it's very interesting. You have these very important movements like Black Lives Matter, Mm. uh, but you don't have an equivalent male-led anti- 
violence movement, um, even though, of course, violence against women and girls is a, is is a an issue for men. It impacts men, both the men who do violence and the men who are impacted by the violence against women and girls in their communities and families. So, you know, some of it is is around matters of of social justice, some of it's around matters of self-interest, and in, in a case like that, these things coincide. There's also huge amounts of research about how much better economies and institutions function if they are more diverse, if there are more women in them, um, and other kinds of diversity, which again isn't surprising because it's about harnessing all the talents rather than just some of them. And what happens with men who hear and read about these things is that they think, oh my God, that means somebody else will be taking my job, taking my livelihood. And that's to misunderstand the economics of it, because if you have something that's creating economic growth, it creates more space for people. Mm -hmm. It's not a finite amount of space. Um, And also there are any number of studies that show that societies are happier and healthier when they're more gender equal. So you know, basically everybody benefits, or as I like to say, everybody benefits except Donald Trump. <laughs> right, which is how it should be. Exactly. Um, do you... <laughs> Sorry, do you... <laughs> I shouldn't really say his name. I think every time I say his name, somewhere a fairy dies. Well, you know what? There's a lot of dead fairies if my Twitter account <laughs> is... <laughs> Uh, being included, but do you ever get threats or people that are truly angry to your face or on on social media? Yeah, I mean, I've um, had threats myself. Um, the, the I had a death threat a while ago that was so cartoonish that <laughs> I really, really didn't take it seriously. And actually, it was sort of funny in lots of ways because the police who responded to the threat didn't really understand the internet and they kept... I had to show one of them how to take a screenshot from a phone and then then what happens is it gets escalated and in this country it goes straight from these sort of like police on the beat who don't know anything straight up into the sort of t- anti-terror police who are who then you think my god they shouldn't be wasting their time on this <laughs> um but um i mean that that threat came simply because of being a woman with some public profile and mm. i get an awful lot of that um my Twitter avatar, as you may have seen, um, uh, is was taken as a New Year's Eve party several years ago where I'm wearing a stick-on mustache. And I have men every day telling me I need a shave and thinking that's hilarious. Oh, come and, on. By the way, I think it's hilarious too, so I encourage them to keep doing it. Um, but um, there's also, you know, a much more serious aspect to this, which is when we were, we, we ran seven candidates in the 2017 general election was first our first time running in a general election and um our office was on the final day of the campaign um well it was bombarded with with sort of threats and unpleasantness throughout but on the last day of the campaign one man started ringing up saying that he knew where they was where they were and he was coming round 
and it was very threatening and it was late at night and they, they locked up the office and went home. But on that same day, also a fantastic campaigner called Nimco Ali, um, she's she's a member of our party, but uh, I call her a fantastic campaigner because she arrived in the UK, uh, she's of Somali heritage, uh, as a child refugee. She had female genital mutilation done to her when she was very young and she has become an extraordinary campaigner against FGM. Mm. And she stood as a uh, candidate for us. And on the second to last day of the campaign, um, a letter was sent with carrying a very, very nasty death threat that was also sort of full of racism and Islamophobia. And grotesquely, it was signed Joe Cox, which is the name mm. of an MP who was murdered uh, a very wonderful young woman, Labour MP, who was murdered in 2016. Um, and the thing about that, I mean, I went out campaigning with Nimco the next day on the last day of the election, and we very deliberately went round sort of with all our, our Women's Equality Party logos being as visible as possible, because the point about those sorts of uh, threats is that they are meant to silence women like Nimco and mm. you know she was she was frightened she was upset she's had death threats before because of the nature of the work she does but it it doesn't minimize the impact of something like that but she was also absolutely damned if she was going to stay indoors and be frightened so mm. we went right back out there and um that's that's really important because this you know a lot of trolling is about trying to silence women do you think that um, we can are... I, can I, oh, sorry, go ahead. To, sorry to interrupt, but I, I want to... Can I rant about what the U.S. has done to NIMCO, by the way? Yeah, but I prefer people ranting, so please. Okay. Yeah. Well, NIMCO was supposed to be this very week in the U.S., sharing a stage with Barack Obama, I think at the invitation of Michelle Obama and also the Gates Foundation, to talk about her campaign on FGM, uh, her campaign against FGM. And um, she applied for a visa. She is a full UK citizen. She, as I say, has lived in the UK since she was a child. Uh, they wouldn't give her the sort of standard, I think it's called an ESTA, that people get to go over to the States. So she was called in for an interview at the embassy. Hmm. Uh, the guy there... Um, wouldn't listen to anything. I mean, she is she is an, an award-winning campaigner. She is very well known. She had any number of testimonials to who she is, what she does. He wouldn't listen to any of that. She said that he was incredibly dismissive. She thought racist and Islamophobic. Mm. And they, they did not issue her with a visa. So mm. she has not been able to come. So she is sitting in London this week um, instead of being in the States making this big public appearance around FGM and combating FGM. And the only reason for this must be um, her Somali origins, the fact that she has travelled quite a lot to Somaliland, where she's making huge headway in combating FGM. And, of course, the fact that she's black and has a, has a Muslim name. Wow. You know, so it's pretty that, you know, this is... I'm going to say his name again. This is this is Trump's America, mm. and and it is not it is not the place that it should be. It is not 
the world leader it should be. No, it's shameful. And that's why so many of us have moments where we start to feel hopeless and and just, as you said, apathetic. And so whenever we see someone like you making, just doing so much, and your book is fantastic and the work that you're doing is fantastic. And it's really inspiring, whether it was accidental or not. <laughs> it really is. And so I feel very grateful to you and the other folks you work with. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't feel that that anything I've done is. Um, th- I mean, thank you, but but I think that in a funny way there just wasn't any choice. So I don't really feel that I deserve any praise for this because it's like the choices are to sort of sit around and feel hopeless or to or to do something and. Um, I just was sort of in the right place at the right time. And the one thing I would say, you know, I talked before about the urgency. You know, we have, we actually have a really big opportunity at the moment because if you look historically about when all of the big breakthroughs for women have happened, they've been not at times of stability but times of turbulence. Mm. And boy, have we got a lot of turbulence going on right now. Um, that that turbulence holds really big dangers for women. You know, we are seeing our rights and protections rolled back and we need to fight that but we also if we if we get active we might actually kind mm-hmm. of move much more quickly to equalia and personally that's where i want to be oh me too i mean my the women in my family all voted for trump so you can imagine that how much oh therapy i need i know it's gross do you, do you, do you speak to them <laughs> what do you, what do you do i mean i try to talk to them about it because i feel like if you have people in your family or, or uh, community that are so uh, you know misinformed or misguided, it's the least you can do is to try to inform them. But it's really difficult, and I know a lot of people are in that position. I, I do know that. And by the way, although I was joking about whether you talk to them, <laughs> one of the really one of the really important things is to continue reaching out to people who don't agree with you. Uh, you know, there is no point in activism if, if your activism is only directed to people who already agree with you. And, uh, you know, the fact that a majority of white women voters mm-hmm. voted for Trump tells you an awful lot about what needs to change. And that's also... You know, with the Women's Equality Party, we have seven core objectives. I talked about the way these things interlink. But one of them, for example, is uh, equality through and in education because it starts from such a young age, the kind of programming. And part of that programming is all around sort of things like princess myths mm-hmm. where the idea of what looks or of what female success looks like is to get close to a powerful man, mm-hmm. you know, because the princesses never really do very much in their own right it's always about marrying the prince or being <sighs> being the most pretty the most beautiful um the sweetest and those things are very deeply embedded mm-hmm. and and so i'm you know that's part of the reason why women looked at this strange orange creature and thought that he was presidential that they would be <laughs> safer safer with him than than with hillary clinton which is you know, I think many people who voted for Trump are already realizing that, that that wasn't true. But another thing, of course, is that a lot of people who voted for Trump think that they're being lied to by mm-hmm. the media 
Um, and there, and another of our core objectives is equal treatment by and in the media. And this disconnection between the media and the voting public, and indeed between politicians and, and the voters, this sort of huge crisis of trust, a lot of that also has to do with media and politics being these ghettos of white male privilege. And it is only if you manage to open up the media, if you manage to open up politics so that they look and sound and are more like the wider population, that you're going to be able to restore that trust. Mm. You're good, man. I'm like <laughs> ready to go. This is awesome. We have uh, one last question we ask everybody. Um, mm -hmm. What do you keep in the trunk of your car? <laughs> I know. Um, but I'm going to give you a really boring answer because it's the truth. So um, we have, we ha we had a really lovely car for a, a long time. It was um, a 1972 Mercedes SL, uh, which is a kind of two and a half seater old sports car. Oh, that's car. so cool. It was cool, but it was a ridiculous, ridiculous gas guzzler. And eventually we had to get rid of it. And we got a sort of second-hand but, but modern two-seater. And um, the, we are, my husband and I are both like incredibly messy sort of pack rats. And so our car is actually full of stuff that should really have a place in our house and we don't know where to put it. Stop. And it's a small car. So... The trunk has got like 101 shopping bags, oh my God. but it's also got kind of bits of clothing and just random, random things. And then periodically I will look in there and I will find a bit of shopping that I lost. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to lose sleep tonight just thinking about that. Uh, if you like, I'll post a picture of the trunk on, on Instagram later. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> that is a riot. Wow, clothes even. That, that, I don't know what that says about you because our theory is that what's in your trunk is symbolic of who you are. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that, that's probably right because, you know, old growing mold, um, but, but actually kind of... <laughs> Full, full of full of accidents that have already happened or are waiting to happen. Oh, that wasn't a boring answer at all. That was one of the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much. I've kept you far too long. I feel terrible, but I'm so glad we got to finally speak, and I cannot wait to hear what our listeners think of your book, Attack of the 50-Foot Women. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Susie. Have a, a enjoy your beer, by the way. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Bye, Catherine. Bye.